Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome back the Deputy Commissioner of the American Association, Josh Buckholz. Josh, thanks for joining us again. You bet, guys. Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you, Josh, and uh, thank you for joining us. First of all, as we should ask you, great Christmas for yourself this year. It was. It was a good, uh, good holiday. I got together with the in-laws up in northern Minnesota, and, and uh, some time away from the office, which is always good. A little vacation time, and, and start rolling back into into baseball form as we get closer to the new year here. But uh, try and take a couple days with the family and just uh, just relax. It's been really nice. So were you on the naughty or nice list this year, Josh? Was Santa happy with you? I guess. <laughs> uh, I feel like I've been on the nice list, so you know, I, I I don't ask for much for Christmas. You know, kind of that age where, you know, when the kids are smiling and and the wife's happy. That's sort of more important than, than anything any, anything I could ask for or want or anything like that. So, so no, I don't I don't worry too much about myself and ask that people don't worry too much about me. Make sure everybody around me is having a good time and, and uh, enjoying the season. Now, last week the bar was raised pretty high with um, Brad Allred and the $600 sunglasses. Was was there anything like that for Mrs. Buckholtz at all? <laughs> uh, she got a piece of jewelry. It did not cost $600, but uh, something that she intimated that she wanted. So, uh, so we went that route. Uh, has a, a necklace with uh, with our two kids' um, first initials on it, and very teeny, weeny, tiny diamonds in, in the in the little. I guess it would be a pendant that comes off the necklace. So nothing uh, nothing extravagant, but uh, something heartfelt that she she wanted, and couldn't believe that I remembered her talking about it. I guess so. I, you know, I guess I won. I guess I won there. So. Um, you know, when she doesn't think I'm listening, I am listening, and uh, and uh, made made her pretty happy. So, so we're good to go there. Oh, they never think we're listening. <laughs> They're right they sometimes, <laughs> but they, yeah, they never think we're listening. Yeah, sometimes I play it up too. You know, like you listen, but you kind of say, "Oh, what? What was that?" <laughs> you got you to keep that makes for more drama. <laughs> that makes it a bigger moment. <laughs> so. Definitely. I like doing it all wrong, but that's okay. No, that's that's why you're like the closer of the American Association office. There, you know, you come up with the last moment to come up and save the day. See, so that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Like that. Like that. <laughs> well, Josh, very exciting year in 2023 for the American Association, and uh, attendance was up across, you know, overall for the league and. Um, exciting championship series, a lot of great pennant races out there for you. So just you know, kind of your thoughts looking back on 2023. Yeah, you know, you kind of feel like COVID's way in the background, but, you know, it's you're really, we're really only it's our second season coming out of that where we kind of had, you know, all systems go. And, and it was nice to see the, the kind of steady growth that we saw. Um, a lot of our internal indicators, Pointed to what was going to be a pretty successful season, and and, uh, and I think I think that was seen off the field uh, with our operators and, and the jobs that they did in each of our markets. Um, you know, you're seeing some places be reinvigorated by new ownership, by new uh, front office leadership, uh, new on field leadership, and you're seeing uh, you know our, our tried and true um, organizations continue to just you know really 
a lot of times beat what would be a model forecast for a you know a, a, a an organization that's been around for 25 or 30 years you know to continue to to have steady attendance to increasing attendance to you know great financial numbers to success on the field to to all the things that go into to having a really good league and, and you know one thing I was really impressed with this year was uh, you know parity is kind of a watered down used overused word I think sometimes but but one of our big tenants in our league is is you know every game that you go to you kind of want that outcome to be not determined before you show up that, that's a big thing for fans I think uh, especially the, the hardcore baseball fans is you know you want your ball club to be in every game well we didn't have any any all of our teams finished within 18 games of each other this year. Um, and when you do that at a 12-team league over 100 games, that's pretty impressive. That, that doesn't happen very often. We didn't have any team win 60 games, and we didn't have any team um, uh, lose 40 or more, or excuse me, win less than 40 games, uh, or 41 games, I think, was our, was our lowest. So um, to me, that was really, that was really, I, I like that. You know, you, you know, it's always fun to have that kind of runaway team that go, you know, I, I was, fortunate enough to be a part of a couple of those in Fargo where you go and you win, you know, a pile of games and, and you know, sometimes you kind of know what's going to happen when you walk into a series like, you know, this is probably going to be a sweep or, you know, two out of three for sure. And I don't think we had that this year. And I think that's, that, that really speaks well to, to the managers and, and the people that are putting together these clubs that, um, Everybody's kind of got a pretty good idea of what it takes to win in the American Association, and and you know, sometimes you have a good year and you don't have injuries and and you don't lose as many guys, or or you, um, you know, the guys that you started the season with kind of really the core of it worked out all year, and you didn't have to make a lot of changes. And there's different ways of, of obviously building these rosters, but um, but I think 2023 it was a really um, valuable lesson in. Um, showing just how good across the board all of our all of our uh, you know baseball ops people are and putting quality product on the field. Looking at those quality products for a minute for me, Josh. I I, I know the league has to be super happy about the you know kind of the the step that Lake Country made this season. It, Ken Huckabee did a, a fine job with that club to really get them in contention and. That pitching was just a little bit better. I think that they would have been a playoff team this year. But is there any concern about a club like Gary that is such a you know a foundational club to the American Association, but it has struggled you know to stay out of last place over the last few years here? Is there any concern of the league office about maybe that competitive edge being lost a little bit there? No, I don't think so. I think they're they're such a strong organization, and and I think Lamar is a good manager. I think Lamar just you know is learning how to how to win in the American Association. I think he's got the right idea, um, without a doubt. I mean, I know and I know he's passionate about it, and I think he's uh, you know experienced year after year here. I, th- I think he's continued to put better products on the field. And as far as Gary as an organization, I know how proud they are of, of what they do on a daily basis there. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm not certainly not the league, the league office is not concerned about Gary's on field product at one at, at all. Um, you know, I, I think there's plenty of good people in place there and they're going to continue to continue to improve. It's, it's just a tough, 
it's a tough market right now. Uh, you know, you're competing against a lot of good clubs, not only in our league, but the Frontier League and, and the Atlantic League for players. And, and uh, you know, the difference between a 41-win season and a, you know, 48-win season is not very big. And, you know, 48-win season probably gets into the playoffs now. So, um, I, I would I would say that we really have no concern about what's going on on the field with any of our clubs. I think, as you as you said, Lake Country made big strides last year. Um, you know, again, a year off of you know having to worry about just getting the stadium built and open and, and all the things that go with with what was happening there. Um, you know, getting a guy like Ken Huckabee in place to manage and and, and their their baseball ops organization is. is very in tune with uh, with what's going on in, in the baseball world, and, and I anticipate they're going to continue to to put good product on the field every year as well. So, you know, both our divisions are challenging. There's no uh, there's no layups by any means, and, and you know, it's it's up to the managers to to come out and and put the best teams on the field that they can. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, somebody has to be in last place, and, and you know, has, has it been Gary the last two years? Yeah, it has been Gary the last two years, or at least one of the last two years, but. Um, I'm not looking at the records. I'm sorry. I think Lake Country finished below them uh, two years ago. But but uh, somebody's always got to be there, and and it's sometimes it's just the way the breaks go. You know, you lose a bunch of close one run games, or or you know, you just have a bad string somewhere, and and you can never make up that ground again. And, and it's just, you know, every night's a battle, like I said in this league. And um, you know, it's uh, uh, we certainly anticipate that's going to be the case again this year. I know on a league level, you guys have to stay neutral and build them upon what you're talking about with the parity. I got to imagine that at the league level, you guys had to be happy with the kind of season the Sioux Falls Canaries had last year after quite a few rough seasons uh, to finally get back into the playoffs again and just reestablishing themselves as a solid franchise. Certainly, certainly, and there's been a lot of work and effort put in by the new ownership group down there to to really revitalize uh, the brand and the ballpark and and the fan experience and and you know the loyalty they've shown to Mike Meyer I think has been rewarded. Um, you know, you know Kevin, you and I have known Mike for a long, long time, and, and Rob, I know you've known Mike for a long, long time as well. Um, you know, he's just a great guy for this league and always has been. And he's, he's uh, you know, he's a fun guy to sit down and just talk baseball with. And he's, uh, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. And, and to see him be rewarded with, uh, with not only a playoff team last year, with really a lot of, you know, tweaking a little bit of his core, uh, coming off probably a disappointing season two years ago and, and, and having things sort of fall in place for him was really cool. And, um, yeah, we have to stay neutral. There's no doubt, but uh, but you know when when a, when the Sioux Falls can make a run, and now you know they they were in the finals in the in the COVID year. Obviously, that was a little bit different, but uh, but you know Mike's you know Mike's very passionate about what he does on a on a on a daily basis, um, and uh, you know they they've worked hard. Like I said, to change the culture and the environment, and and the the faith shown in 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 Mike and his idea of how to build a team. I think it paid off for them last year. You know, in a bit of um, tri- useless trivia here, Josh, the when you and I met for the first time in Fargo through Bill Tyler, mm-hmm. the first game I went to at Newman Outdoor Field 
when afterwards it was you, me, Bill, Doug Sivnick, Jeff Bittiger. The pitcher that night for St. Paul was Mike Meyer. Was Mike Meyer. <laughs> and he threw right like seven or eight innings. In yes. Completely shut down the Red Hawks. And I can remember Sivnick. Uh, I shut down my guy. I was pitching in the Southeastern League. <laughs> and now look where we are 20 years later. Mike Myers, an established manager in the association. Yeah, well, he's he's earned it. He's uh, he put in his time. You know, he was a, a a really solid pitching coach in a few different stops. And and like I said, I think uh, the loyalty that that the the Sioux Falls uh, ownership group has shown him has paid off, and I think it's going to continue to pay off. I think he's, um, you know, he, again we have we have twelve really solid managers in this league, and Mike is one of them. And and we're certainly proud to have him and 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 the Canaries. Uh, success has been has been fun to watch. Yeah. I thought another victory for the league too but during this off season so far was convincing Sioux City that the American Association is the right kind of baseball for their market after there was a little bit of a scare that the Northwoods <laughs> League was gonna try to slip in. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, you know, the credit really goes to John Roost and, and to Tom Back Backmeyer in, in Sioux City. Those two guys uh, met the challenge head on, and and um, you know, showed both commitment and uh, and really great expertise in the market, and uh, and proved really proved for themselves what. Uh, you know what the American Association means to that market, and and what that market means to the American Association. Quite frankly, uh, obviously one of our originals in both the Northern League and the American Association. Um, great local ownership in John Roost, and and bringing in a, a very seasoned, very experienced, very knowledgeable, uh, capable leader. And Tom Backmeyer, as vice president, and general manager, has, has been a a godsend, and they really made great strides last year. Again, another organization that, as we talked about at the beginning of this, uh, you know, teams that are really, uh, you know, putting themselves back out there and, and doing a great job of it, and, and they gained some serious momentum in that market last year. And, and excited to see what Tom can do. I know Tom's got Tom's got big plans for that that market. Um, uh, you know, he's got staff coming in, and, and or he's got staff, excuse me, not coming in, but they've got staff on board for the off season, uh, and you know, we're just excited to see that, uh, you know, see the the growth happen again in Sioux City. It's time, and, and uh, I think the right people are in place there. Josh, you were talking about twelve great managers in this league, and one thing I think that fans don't really realize is. 12 great ownership groups here. I mean, consider the fact that five of the six teams in the East Division didn't exist in the American Association six years ago. And you have new ownership group in Sioux Falls, new ownership group in Kansas City over the last few years. What's the process that you and Josh go through in looking for the right ownership group? Because that formula really seems to be working very well for you guys. So what are you really looking yeah. for out of that? Sure, and, I, and I, we, we should also mention the new ownership in Cleburne this year, new ownership in Gary sure, this year. Yes. Um, and then obviously, as you said, you know, a, a new group in, in Lake Country, a new group in Milwaukee back in 18. Um, you know, I, I don't 
get too involved in the vetting of that. That's uh, that's better handled by the commissioner and, and our legal counsel, and, and they do a really great job of it. What I would say, and to echo what you say about 12 quality ownership groups, um, we don't have a lot of drama. You know, if you follow this nook of, of professional baseball and you read the the interwebs and and chat boards and things like that. And I'm as guilty as anybody I follow on. I kind of know what's going on out there. But you don't see the American Association being thrown about uh, in a lot of the, the quote-unquote drama that happens during the offseason or even during the season. And we're very proud of that. Um, you know, we have very calm waters at the top. Um, you know, Josh and I are, are, are kind of like ducks who are paddling like hell underneath the water. But, uh, but you know, smooth, smooth water is, is very good. That's not to say there's not, you know, in within the boardroom there's not disagreements and contention about different things, but but that's healthy and those are healthy uh, those are healthy discussions that happen at our ownership levels, um, even at our GM levels, where you know you can disagree, but but we're all pulling on the same end of the rope here and we're all trying to be the best league that we can, and, and that's one thing that I think Josh and I pride ourselves on is is the stability and and the quality of the ownership groups that we've got in there. And uh, you know, as, as some 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 leagues are struggling to answer simple questions. I think the American Association is is past the simple questions and really into uh, you know how do we continue to grow this thing and, and be unique and be different and, and stand out and and not only be a presence in our in our markets but be a presence nationwide and worldwide. And that's that's what we're that's what we're trying to do. That's our different vision. Well, let's talk about growing, uh, if you will, for us here a little bit. It, it looked like in that article that Kevin and I had looked at a, a month or so ago that Murfreesboro was a lock to get into the American Association. At least they felt that way. Um, now there's kind of what you read that there's slowing down the process of getting their stadium up and things, and the economy's kind of tough. What, what is it? I'm not asking you for you to tell us names or whatever, but what does expansion look like for you guys in this market now? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's things that are public. So, I mean, Waco, Texas is certainly on our radar right now. Um, there's another location in Texas that uh, you know we continue to to move on and feel like we've got good progress there. Um, Murfreesboro. There's another location near Murfreesboro that uh, that we're that we're involved with very heavily. And, and I mean, I think if you look at our footprint. You know where can we grow and where are there markets available? That's that's the, really the difficult question, and you got to be a little bit creative, and, and it may cross over into some other leagues, quote unquote territories. But um, you know we feel like we're best suited and best situated to uh, to welcome uh, communities that want to build ballparks. Well, the problem is building ballparks isn't easy, and it takes time, and and you know there's the political side to it, there's the financial side to it. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. So, um, you know, the desire to, to expand, expand, expand is there. And we have operators. We have no shortage of quality, qualified operators waiting in the wings, ready to take over, you know, ready, ready to take on these projects and are active in these projects right now. We just can't. <clears throat> we haven't broken ground yet. That's been a little bit of our of our of a problem, but we're very close. Um, it's not even really a problem. You know, we'll, we'll be ready to expand when, when expansion's ready for us. Um, you know, we want to grow the league, there's no doubt. 
what does the number look like? Well, we'd, we'd sure love to get to 20. I think that would be a, a really good number for us um, from a few different perspectives, from, you know, divisional perspectives and then from uh, from a business side. Um, when you have 20 clubs, and, and we've done various studies and, and did the consultation work in 2019 about this, you know, until you get to about 20 clubs, uh an uphill climb sometimes to find those national sponsors, but um, even now we're finding traction with that. So, uh, you know, as soon as we can grow, we'll grow. Um, the, the markets are out there. We've identified them. We're deep into them. Um, you know, just stay tuned. Um, we're certainly, that's certainly a major focus of the commissioner right now is, is growing the footprint of the league and growing the, 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 the membership base of the league as well. Do you see a potential issue with 20 teams with uh, potentially the talent pool being a bit depleted, or are we looking at it where 20 teams in the American Association may be at the expense of a couple other leagues shutting down operations and there would be more players available? Is that a thought right now, or is that just something you tackle when you get to it yeah, that's a problem we'll probably worry about as we move forward. Um, you know, we always feel like we're, we, especially coming off of COVID, where, where you know, you lost the minor league, you know, the, the, the two levels of the minor league, um, or at least two or, you know, two clubs in each minor league organization. And the roster has changed and fluctuated. And, you know, the first year off of COVID, you know, anybody that, had any pro experience and was a pitcher was probably going to get signed out of your league at that point because they need, you know, pitch counts and injuries and things that were happening after 2000 happened. But, um, you know, we feel, felt like this year we finally kind of got a grasp of what the talent pool is going to look like. And, and I think our talent was better this year uh, across the board. But, you know, lo and behold, MLB decides, hey, let's change the rules again. So now they're dropping the MLB roster is down to 165 domestic players from 180. So right off the bat, okay, there's 15 jobs per organization times 30 organizations. That's four jobs that are disappearing this year that were there last year. So where are those players coming from? Or what's happening with those players? Well, a lot of them are being released in the offseason now. and The job, the sales job is convincing players to, to, to stay in the game. And, um, you know how do we how do we how do we make our best sales pitches? The American Association is going to be our challenge moving forward, I think. And um, is it always salary? No, it's not always salary. It's part of it, but but I think there's other things that you know, just treating players well when they're when they're on the road, whether it's hotels or, or meals or the things that that come along with it. I think that's uh, you know needs to be a big impetus for our league moving forward, just with what's happening with uh, with with the players union and coming in and, and, you know, sort of taking MLB to task a little bit and MLB basically saying not putting up a fight with the unionization of minor league baseball. So, um, you know, those are the landscape changes for us that we need to be cognizant of and, and, you know, convincing players and working with MLB, which they seem open to doing, you know, working with MLB to convince guys that, that aren't, you know, you maybe used to be drafted in the 35th round, now aren't getting drafted. Well, how do you get those guys to want to play pro baseball then instead of them taking their accounting degree and going off and, and just starting to work, right? Um, 
So we need to have, you know, we need to, and then this is a work in progress for us. We need, we need to have a better sales pitch as a league, and, and our clubs need to have better sales pitches to try and get these guys to want to play. And that's hard, and, and I get it. And, you know, players have been told for years that, you know, quote-unquote independent baseball is a dead end. Well, you know, we're working with MLB to show that MLB, you know, the indie leagues or, or partner leagues are, are really a ladder of how you're going to get, you know, it's just another developmental arm, essentially, at one point. They don't have any say on how we develop these guys. It's more about come out and play and learn how to win and, and you know, play play for your team and not for, uh, you know, trying to get the call from low A to, to high A. It's, uh, it's a little different. But when you come and play in our league, and maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, you know, then you can maybe have that opportunity to go to double A. And you've already bypassed complex league and, and low A ball, which which aren't always the most fun anyway. So um, what does the talent pool look like down the road? Man, I have no idea because we thought we had an idea this year and they went and changed the rules again. So um, we continue to, uh, you know, we need to continue to evolve as a league and decide, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, decide how we want to try and attract talent. I think that's going to be the important thing for us. And, and um, like I said, the, the predicting what the talent pool is going to be in five years, I have no idea because we, we, we're going to learn again this year, what it looks like and what, what that roster change is going to, is going to mean to, to, uh, to players wanting to continue to play. You know, what we're doing from our perspective as a league is trying to make it easier for, especially our older guys, uh, who maybe the MLB aspirations aren't there or, or quite frankly, just, you know, not an option anymore for them because of age and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, finding ways for them to uh, move on to foreign leagues, whether it's Mexico, whether it's Taiwan, um, you know, in the rare cases, Japan or Korea, but, you know, giving them opportunities to, to still make money and play the game. And, and uh, you know, it may not be in the American Association, but, but if you come and put up numbers in this league, it's certainly going to open eyes and, and get you opportunities over in, in those places where instead of making the American Association salaries, you can make four or five, six times as much, um, you know, playing in those leagues and, and support your family. You kind of answered my next question, but I'll still throw it out there. How do you battle that stigma of that as playing – independent slash partner league baseball from its um, beginning of it being somewhere, you know, a last resort, somewhere you want to, only want to go if there's no other options. Is that something each individual team does? Is that a league-wide effort? Is it all the partner leagues working together to throw a pitch to these players that, hey, you know what, this is a good option for you? Um, I would say... To answer your last section first, no, it's not something that all the partner leagues are going to work on together. I think they all have the same goals, but um, we all look at it sort of differently, um, I think is a good way to put it. Um, we will work from a league perspective on um, creating, uh, you know, information, um, doing things like we're doing tonight, talking about it. And, and, you know, your, your show carries weight in this world, and, and there's players that listen, and there's information that gets out of that. So I think for us, 
you know, doing more outreach probably from a league office is good. Um, but we'll be, uh, you know, there'll be, we, we, when we met with MLB, that was a big thing that we talked about at winter meetings, um, was, you know, you guys need to do a better job of promoting us and, and what they'll do now, hopefully, and what we've tried to do last year as well was, uh, creating relationships, relationships with college coaches and, you know, getting our league and our information in front of them, um, ahead of time. And, uh, and so I think they're going to talk about the independent leagues at the American Baseball Coaches Association Conference, which is a big, uh, the big convention every year, um, after the first of the year. Um, we'll be providing some information. I think the other leagues are also providing information. Um, so when MLB is up and gives a presentation to ABCA, um, partner leagues will be, will certainly be a part of that. So, um, so things like that, uh, but just, uh, you know, each each team's got to come up with their own sales pitch, too, because, you know, as a league, we want as many of these guys as we can, but, um, you know, each team needs to find that, that way, too. And, you know, but quite frankly, you don't want to fill, you don't want to fill your roster with 22 guys right out of college, either. So, you know, we still like that pro experience guy, and, and that's where I think the, you know, the opportunities, whether it be back to an organization or, um, or uh, to a foreign league would be more attractive to, you know, those guys that have, you know, touched double A and, and, you know, aren't quite sure. They're kind of at that crossroads in their career when they make that decision whether or not to play in a partner league or not. I think that's kind of a neat thing with this league, too, is that you saw it in your time with Fargo-Moorhead where you had a connection with Concordia-Moorhead, NDSU, where a lot of the Red Hawks teams were built with guys that were, unsigned, undrafted, but went on to have success with the Red Hawks. And I know they're seeing it right down the I-29 in Sioux Falls right now where Augustana is a baseball power. And Mike Myers taking advantage of that and brought in some guys from those teams to help the Canaries out. Absolutely. That's one thing that really hasn't changed um, from my time, even the early days of, of working with Doug and Jeff and Fargo. Um, the reliance on um, on local ball players from from several perspectives. Number one, they have to be talented enough to to play and stick. Now, you know, you'll you'll always have kind of that pool of local guys. Uh, you know, you have an injury, somebody gets picked up um, that you can turn around and, and um, you know and go uh, go pick up for a short term fix if you need to. But uh, but being able to to find and and uh, put them in the right positions to succeed to find those local guys has been, uh, has been, has always been a big part of what we did in Fargo. And, and, and like you said, in Sioux Falls, they're doing it now. Um, from a marketing standpoint, it also works because everybody likes to see local guys do well in, in their own, in their own areas. So, um, so there, there's a lot of good reasons to, to develop that local talent. I mean, if you look at a lot of our rosters, you know, Kansas City does it a lot with pro guys, but they've had good success with local college guys down in Kansas City. Um, Cleveland is very heavy. Texas, obviously. Uh, Chicago with Butch. The the, the, the rosters he's put out, especially last year, was, was very heavy with, uh, with Chicago area guys. Um, same with Milwaukee and, and, and Lake Country. They like finding guys in their, in their neck of the woods. So, I mean, as you go through all the rosters, you really see – most clubs are, are picking up on that and have picked up on that through the years. and It's, it's an important part of, of what we need to do. 
Josh, if I could be so bold here, um, on behalf of my, my partner here on the show, I, I think as you're kind of mulling expansion and all the stuff that goes along with that, Fairbolt would be a great place <laughs> for the next expansion team. So I just want to throw that out there for consideration <laughs> as, you're, as you're moving that way. Uh, yeah, uh, we can get another <laughs> big city hooked on to Faribault that might help, but yeah. <laughs> we would like to be back in uh, Minnesota somewhere. Uh, there's no doubt about oh, that's that. That's what we like to hear. That's what we, we like, like to hear. We'd like to be back in Minnesota. That, that, you know, it's a big gap between um, I-29 and, and Chicago and, and Milwaukee, so uh, it would be nice to have a filler there. Um, it's certainly something we've we've um examined uh, there may be some options out there down the road so just again stay tuned on that one but it won't be we can't even fun. keep a bowling alley open in Faribault I don't think we can attract a, a partner league baseball team <laughs> talk to us a little about about sponsors Josh because we see these new ones come out here uh, you had the league had one just a couple weeks ago I think was what uh extreme extreme networks yeah. Um, what, what's the process you guys look for in sponsors and, and what, what's the availability? What kind of, what's the pie in the sky moment for the league right now? Yeah. So right now, um, obviously the, the, you know, the golden egg, right. Is that league wide all encompassing sponsorship. And, um, we've been building towards this since 2019, got sidetracked with COVID, um, some economic headwinds that, Hit us last year, you know, before the season, where you know there was a lot of thought, there was a lot of talk of uh, recessions and, and you know high interest rates, and you know are people going to still buy? And, and you know, as the year has gone along, it feels like those things may be subsiding a little bit, um, hopefully. But um, we have a marketing team that handles, you know, is, is in market with with our league and. and um, is talking to sponsors on a daily basis and trying to cultivate new relationships. Um, what we've had success doing is building up a program of preferred preferred partners, and you know everybody has a category. Um, Extreme Networks, for example, is, is you know in stadium Wi-Fi uh, switches, routers, things like that. Um, but the and that, and I'm not. They may not do switches or they may not do routers, but. You know, forgive me. I'm, I'm kind of winging it here, but uh, but they're an official partner of Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, and we were offered the opportunity at winter meetings two years ago in San Diego uh, to sit down with uh, with one of their salespeople, uh, Sharon, who's become a very good friend of ours now in the league, and and uh, I think Sharon's kind of like, who are these two guys walking as Josh and Josh? And we sat down, and after a half hour, she liked what she heard, and and. Uh, we followed up a couple of weeks later with our marketing group, and, and um, they were able to put together over the course of, of the next, uh, you know, it took about a year for it to work out for everybody, but uh, we put together an agreement. With. So most of these preferred partnerships, um, our clubs are, the, the best part is, well, number one, they pay money to be a preferred partner. That's great. It's not huge money, but it's, it's, it's you know, substantial. It's, it's good. Uh, obviously, any money coming in is good because we used to get zero money coming in, and then uh, they have the opportunity to uh, to present their programs to our uh, our ownership groups, our general managers, um, 
teams are not required to purchase from them. However, uh, we certainly, if they're in the market for a product that one of our preferred partners has, we certainly hope that they give them, uh, you know, due consideration in that. So, like, what what are other sponsors that you're you're seeing, Josh, that really can benefit then, and, and clubs are taking advantage of those kind of offers that these sponsors are providing? Sure. So we've had, uh, you know, we have a, a pretty good stable now. I think of uh, sixteen or seventeen preferred partners that uh, range from stadium lighting to, to ticketing solutions to uh, credit card processing. You know, some of these aren't very glamorous, but uh, but the, they're all things that get used in the world of baseball and the business of baseball. So, um, you know, one example is is, uh, is Tixer, um, a new. Uh, ticketing platform. They've they've had great success in, in the entertainment world and and uh, you know large scale general admission um, events. Um, but they wanted to get into stadiums, and we provided them with the opportunity to get in front of clubs. and And I think now in their second year with us, they're going to have three teams that'll that'll come on board. So twenty five percent of our ticketing platforms are going to be through Tixer uh, this year. Um, so you know those are the types of, of opportunities that we're presenting with these uh, with these groups that want to come in and, and partner with us and and, uh, and go along for the ride for a few years and see what uh, see what happens. Now, if I can get out of this part for a moment, you know, Kevin had a great question for Josh Job a couple of years ago that I really liked, and, and I don't think we've ever posed this to you. So, how does how does little Josh Buckholz get excited about baseball. Tell, tell us a little bit about your baseball dreams as a kid. <laughs> All right. Well, I was, uh, my dad was a baseball guy. Um, so it was probably, you know, born in me. Um, my dad grew up in Kansas City, or his, his formative years were spent in Kansas City. And uh, he was a fan of, you know, he followed the Kansas City A's, and then as he got older, the Royals. And, um, when he moved to to Minneapolis, and I was born down there, um, Twins games became kind of a regular thing, especially when they played Kansas City. Uh, we have family pictures of, I think, 1977. I remember staying at the Thunderbird uh, Hotel. Kevin probably remember that. And uh, oh yeah, the bird, the old Thunderbird, and going to you know walking across the parking lot to to Met Stadium, and I'm getting an autograph from Tony Oliva and and. Um, uh, you know, I'm three years old, so you know, I grew up sort of going to games and, and um, enjoyed playing it. Had a good group of friends, little kids in our neighborhood. We lived in kind of a newer development, and so there are lots of empty lots. So every summer we would sort of build a sandlot and had a, you know, a lot of kids that that played more at the time, and had, you know, they still do. They had a very strong baseball program, so uh, you know, you got going and. Um, kindergarten and started playing ball, so I did that and played up through high school and Legion, and um, you know grew up reading the baseball encyclopedia, the big thick one, you know, before the internet, and you know memorizing stats and computer baseball and you know all all that all the stuff that kids of the '80s did to to get their baseball fix, baseball cards, and um, you know was was a pretty good player, not great. You know, played on all-star teams, played in Babe Ruth State tournaments, and um, got to college. Realized I wasn't good enough to probably do anything on the field. Um, got hurt, didn't really rehab very well. Got hurt again, and that was sort of the end of my career on the field. And then figured I'd just be a teacher and a coach, and and you know, probably coach baseball. And 
and go that direction. And the Red Hawks came into town. I was lucky enough to stumble into a job, and, and uh, it was a summer job that never ended. I never I was going to probably go to grad school for my history degree that I got. Um, that never happened. Uh, they hired me full-time after two years in the clubhouse. And, and, uh, and that's, that's how I got a baseball career going, I guess. Um, what gets me excited about baseball or what got me excited about baseball, um, I just loved playing it. Like, it was just fun to play. Like, uh, it was just different. And, you know, I, I, I played hockey, I played basketball, I played football, um, played football and, and baseball all through high school and, and uh, was pretty good at both of them. Nothing, again, nothing great, but but pretty good. And then um, it just kind of stuck with me. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to work for a baseball team I thought would be pretty cool. It was. Uh, the opportunity to work for a league I never would have imagined would be an opportunity, and it, it, it's happened. And so I've embraced that. And, and um, you know, I, I always – once I got into the business side of it, I just really liked the process. Um, I liked working with Doug Simonick and Faro and building the teams. And um, when I became a GM, I really enjoyed the, the daily process of putting together a game and entertaining people and being social and being out there amongst the fans and, and talking to people and problem solving and, and all the things that came with it. A lot of it wasn't really even baseball related, but, um, but just that whole process and, and being a being a part of something that that entertained the community and and kept, you know it was a big part of, of a lot of people's summer summer plans and, and put a lot of smiles on faces and I really enjoyed that aspect of it and you know you get to a point in your life where you got to make some decisions and, and you know I was tired of, of kind of babysitting the stadium and, and the hours that went into that and and this role came available and was encouraged to, to go for it. So um, I'm lucky I landed in a good spot. Um, you know, uh, you know when they hired Josh on a year after I was hired, ironically, he and I um, first met uh, one of my first years as a GM in Fargo since he was scouting for the Brewers. So he and I knew each other. And so when they you know said the names of the three finalists, and I'm like, oh, I know that guy. I had no idea where he was at anymore and what he'd been doing, but like, when he got hired and we made the first phone call, it was like, you know, talking to somebody I just hadn't seen in a few years. So, you know, we, we, we clicked right away. So that was really good. That was really positive. But, um, so now like my baseball, you know, I don't, I don't watch a lot of major league baseball anymore. I watch the playoffs. I, I still get into the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I, I cheer for the twins from a distance and then I haven't been to a game and, at Target Field in probably four or five years, pre-COVID for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I like the um, the simplicity of the game. You know, it goes back to Bull Durham. You, you know, hit the ball, you catch the ball, you throw the ball. You know, you don't lollygag. So, I mean, that's like, that's kind of, I, I just always like that that part of it. You know, it's a game that, that anybody, I think, can play. Uh you know, for certain amounts of time and, and just been always a part of, of you know, our country and, and our, our, as a history, you know, degree guy, uh, you know, the history of the game is, is super intriguing to me. I like, uh, you know, I like the old biographies and, and reading those types of things and, and seeing old film and, you know, hearing about 
you know, people that saw cool things. Like, that, that's, that to me, that's the baseball. Um, and now, you know, to be involved in, in, in the league and be involved in some cool things that we're doing is, and, and hopefully setting up the next generation to, to carry on, you know, the game and, and, and to carry on the spirit of what we're, you know, what we're trying to do here is, is really kind of the, the next step, I think, that we move forward. So there's going to be a, a celebrity game for the All-Star Game in Kansas City. So are we looking at the Joshes lacing up the spikes for one last time? I'm not. No way. No way. <laughs> I'm not doing it. My spikes have long retired. I, I, did, I did softball for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I think I was 30, 33 the last time I played a softball game. I'm I'll be 50 this summer, so that's, uh, that tells you where I'm at. I, you know, I throw the ball around to my kids, and, and I help coach my daughter's uh, five, six-year-old coach pitch team. But uh, but other than that, uh, no, I have no desire to to step on the field and do anything. I, I've I've been humbled, uh, you know, enough being goaded by players to come out and take batting practice with them, and uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Not. Uh, I'll leave that to some other people that want to have fun with it. I think the last time I swung a bat was 2014, and it was a Saints batting practice thing. George Samuels was throwing batting practice. He didn't saw me off once. He sawed me off twice. <laughs> they let me keep the bats from it as a souvenir. And later on that night, as we were tailgating before the game, he came out and bragged to everybody that he sawed me off twice. And I have not swung a bat since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got a way of getting in on you pretty quick sometimes. So, no, I uh, those days are over for me. I've, uh, <laughs> I've learned my lessons. I'm humbled. Um, but, uh, you know. We'll let uh, we'll let some of the athletes, <laughs> or, or better athletes than I am, younger athletes maybe, uh, handle the uh, the all star the all star game. Well, speaking of younger athletes, and this was something I don't think Rob and I got into as much as we should have. The uh, baseball championship series, or whatever the title of it was, down oh, in Mexico, because yeah, the baseball champions league, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were down there for it. Describe to us what it was like down there as just, you know, a visitor and as a fan. Yeah. So, um I'll preface it. Number one, um this is year 0, right? Like this is basically year 0. We got it off the ground. That was the whole goal. Um you know, something that we had tried to do the year before, ran out of time. Um pulled the plug before it got too public, but uh but this was um this is really year zero, and this is this is um, this was grown out of a conversation Josh and, and Horatio um, uh, 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 De La Vega, who is the president of the Mexican League. Um, you know, we've obviously formed a relationship with the Mexican League and and, and player transfers, and and we're trying. You know, we're always looking at ways to expand the business side as well, whether it's through TV or or whatever. And um, Horacio comes from a background of Olympic sports. I, I believe he's a, a track and field guy. 
Um, but he's also ran uh, basically the entire sports enterprises in, in Mexico City. So any any major event that came into Mexico City for a good chunk of years, whether it was the NFL or the NBA or MLB or uh, Formula One or um, you know Pan Am Games or anything like that that happened, he would be in charge of all of that. So he sees things in a whole different light than just baseball, baseball, baseball. And um, they were kind of kicking around the idea of, of you know, postseason play between champions. And he said, well, I've been working on this. And he, he brought up this baseball champions league. So, you know, modeled after European soccer and, and uh, uh, you know, what they do, you know, sort of their in-season, you know, where they, they play some in-season games and, then, you know, the, the winners advance to – uh, you know, the actual Champions League tournament where whether I, I don't know if it's down to the Final Four or Final Eight or however those teams get together. But um, that's sort of what this is based on. And, and uh, working with WBSC, which is the, the world governing body for the sport of baseball and softball. Um, so on the Olympic side and any of the U turn, you know, the U23, U20s. Uh, any of those tournaments are all handled by WBSC, both on the men's and women's side, also the softball side, um, and, uh, and the baseball fives and, and some of those different events that they run. Um, they jumped on board. They thought it was a great idea. And so we were able to put together, you know, this 14 tournament for this year in Mexico. Um, knowing what I knew from some freelance work I'd done early in my career with USA Baseball, I knew that the tournaments would be well run. Um, the Mexican Federation and the Mexican League do a first-class job of putting on events. And so, um, you know, I told Josh, I said, it's going to be well-run, so, we'll, you know, we got to be ready to go and we got to be professional and, and, you know, can't go down there and, you know, half-ass it through, uh, you know, different aspects of it. Like, we got to be serious, take it serious. The players don't take it serious because they're going to take it serious. The teams that are coming in are going to take it serious. And we got a group of guys put together. Um, you know, we put together, we put out a, an invitation uh, and just said, do you want to be considered to players? I think this was in July. You know, if you want to be considered for this, put your name in. And then as we build up the roster, and, and Chris Ghost basically built the roster between him and I think Anthony helped out. Uh, Anthony Brown in Milwaukee was one of the coaches. Um, you know, they put together the roster and, and – um, Got a good group of guys. Um, surprisingly, not you know, it's a tough time of year to get players who want to do this. Number one, because season's just getting over. You know, they may be going back to work, maybe going back to school. So to ask guys to take a week and you know, can you come and play? And you know, we can only offer you X amount of money, but you know, if you win some games, you'll get more money. <laughs> so it's a whole kind of different, uh, whole different vibe. But man, and and you got to wear the Red Hawks jersey last year, right? So like that's. Not always easy for some players either. But, uh, you know, they put together a group of guys that all bought in. And, and, you know, in hindsight, we probably could have gone down a day or two earlier and got their legs under them. Uh, I think it cost us the first game of the tournament against Cuba. Uh, but, man, once they got going and, and the atmosphere in that game against, uh, against Yucatan, the host club, uh, game two was just outstanding. And, uh, you know, Coast ran out two young guys in, jeez, um, uh, uh, I forget the first name, the guy that started the game. Oh, Colton Davis from Fargo, and then followed up with Mitch Berberg from Sioux City. You know, two, two young undrafted players, 
you know, uh, Davis was starting at, at Texas Rio Grande Valley, you know, in April, in April and May. And now he's pitching in front of, you know, 5,000 rabid Yucatan fans in this, uh, you know, in this cash money tournament. And, uh, he did great, and then Mitch came in and just just shut him down, and, and he kept going out inning after inning, and, and they just didn't have an answer for him. So uh, that was super. And then the Columbia game, and then obviously winning the championship against Columbia was uh, was really great. Um, the atmosphere was fun. Would we'd like to see bigger crowds? Yeah, um, some of that was on L and B on, on the marketing side. Some of that was on the local club on the marketing side. Um, those are going to be addressed without a doubt. Um, Moving forward, next year we'll be back in Mexico. They they had agreed originally to host the first two years, and then. Uh, but as far as the organization and what we were promised and what was delivered, it was first class all the way. Um, the players were treated like kings. Uh, the hotel was good. The food was good. Transportation was good. Uh, the ballpark was good. So I mean, everything that you know, there's a little bit of adjustment when you play international versus playing in you know in a league or whatever. You know, you, you don't always get dressed at the ballpark or you got to sort of be flexible. And that was one thing I preached to the guys is just be flexible. You know, we're going to get you there. You're going to have time to be ready and get ready to go, but you got to be flexible. So, um, all in all for us, a 10 out of 10 event, um, certainly looking forward to doing it again in, uh, in 2024, uh, represented by the Monarchs and, uh, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it turns out. Hopefully we can go down and defend. I know the, the plan is to expand to eight teams for, for next year. Uh, hopefully adding in, um, who are they adding in? I think Dominican, hopefully Puerto Rico, Panama, Venezuela. Yeah, that would, those four, and then we would keep Cuba, Mexico, uh, Colombia, and, uh, and the United States. And as of now, because we're one of the co-founders and we sit at the founding board, um, the American Association is the, uh, will be the U.S. representative for the foreseeable future. One of the observations I made was, I mean, you guys recruited a lot of sponsors that showed up on the uniforms, and I saw one of the more unintentional, funny moments watching at home. One of the sponsors was Visit Fargo. And during one of the games, I know Carter didn't mean it, but Carter is going on a little bit of a story about how miserable Fargo is to go to in the winter. I'm like, Carter, <laughs> Visit Fargo is one of the sponsors. Yeah, yeah well, Carter was actually working for WBSC. You know, he was, we recommended um, – we tried to get Jack Michaels down there, but he had college football obligations. We thought he, he should have the first right to go down as the, as the Red Hawks broadcaster. He was unavailable. And then, uh, obviously, our relationship with Carter uh, from previous years, um, you know, we knew he would go down and do a good job. But, yeah, be, everybody knows part of cold in the winter. Um, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that, but, hey, you know, Fargo was a great sponsor for us. Sun Butter was great for us. Um, you know, we anticipate uh, – uh, being able to sell those uh, those uniform hits a little bit easier uh, for coming tournaments, so it's, uh, it was yep. it was fun. It was a different look. It was a different look for us. Um, oh, yeah. I would have loved to have. I would have loved to have more. I, I wanted to look like a NASCAR jacket, but, you know. That's, uh, <laughs> first year, like I said, year zero. Um, you're happy with uh, with 
of how it all turned out. And, and uh, you know, I think the players had a really good experience as well, and the coaches did. And, and, you know, Josh and I were impressed. It was a lot of work. Um, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that will go in the book probably at some point. But, um, but it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun and, and certainly worth the time and the effort and, and got eyeballs on, on our league and our teams and, and our players without a doubt. So, you know, that, at the end of the day, that's, that's the goal is eyeballs and impressions and, and, you know, trying to get viewers because that's what sponsors want. And the other observation I made was just how excited the players were when they won. You know, oh, yeah. for a team that was just kind of thrown together, playing in a tournament that was like four or five days long, those guys I thought were just as excited as if they had won a won a league championship that they played all summer for. Yes, yeah, they were definitely excited. Um, those guys they played hard, and they took this seriously. Like I said, um, they put together a good group of players who were ready to go. Um, understood the task, understood that we didn't want to go down there and go all in three. No, if we would have lost, you know, championship to Mexico or something, we probably could have said that's, you know, that's successful. That was good. But, uh, but we put ourselves in a good position and, and, uh, and they were able to capture a championship. And Hey, anytime you win, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that type of post game ceremony with stage and a backdrop and fireworks and, um, Commissioner found some cigars somewhere in, in town and got those out for the guys and uh, you know, Cody lights were flowing and yeah, it was uh, it was it was as good a celebration as, as any that I had as a, as a champion in Fargo. So um, you know, good on those guys; they deserved it. Um, it was nice to kind of just stand back and and observe it um, and you know, just be proud of what the league had accomplished at that point. So. Uh, but the players, the players, and, and the coaching staff were the ones that really, uh, really put in the effort and, and and believed in it, believed in our vision, and uh, you know that that was for for Josh and I that was pretty fulfilling. Well, Josh, that's fantastic. Um, great year here, and, and I know a, a great twenty twenty four is coming up here, and we're just thankful for all that you do, and thankful for that you joined Kevin and I tonight. But you know, you're you're a veteran now of the show, so I know we're going to get quite the final thought out of you here. So <laughs> the floor is yours. You know, yeah, you know, I listen, and I'm like, God, next time I go on, i got to have some preparing again. Of course, I didn't prepare anything because through, in the throes of, of the Christmas holiday season. But, uh, no, I, I, you know, as we close out 2023, I, I you know, I, I, I turn back to our, our fans, um, our ownership groups, our on-field groups, uh, whether it be coaches and and, and players, uh, the people behind the scenes that make it happen, the clubhouse guys, the trainers, the TV production people, the broadcasters, the front office staff, the interns, the you know the social media guys and gals that are are out there, you know, putting the league in a good light. That you know, I just want to thank them for a fantastic 2023. Um, we look forward to a great year in 2024 and continue to build on the momentum that we've we've uh, we've picked up here. As I said, I hate keep going back to COVID, but man, that really you know that really that really stuck us. And, and uh, I'm just so proud of, of where this league has continued to to move forward um, coming out of something like that. And, and again, I, I point to the stability in our our, our uh, boardroom 
and the uh, the camaraderie of of the people that that make these organizations happen with each other. Um, it makes Josh and I's job much much easier, um, and we look forward to you know doing it all again in twenty twenty four and seeing what happens. Um, I think we're we're in for a great summer of baseball, um, a great summer of entertainment. Um, you know, and hopefully, uh, you know, people are ready to, to come back out to the ballpark and, and, and see what we've got to offer this year. Fantastic. Josh Barkholz, thanks for joining Kevin and I this week. Yeah, thanks Thank for doing this. I appreciate it. You bet. Appreciate it, guys. Well, Kevin, great having Josh Buckholz on the show. It's been a little while, so great to have the Deputy Commissioner back with us. Yes, it was. You know, it's been a good long while, but always good to Always good to hear from the folks at the league offices. Yeah, and I'm appreciative of him not being too angry with me about the last mess up uh, that I that he was waiting on the thing I'd given him the wrong number. So I'm still feeling bad about that, but Josh is a gracious guy, so I appreciate that very much. Uh, you know, Kevin, man, we don't have any blockbuster new managers or uh, uh, new broadcasters going on this week or something like that. Kind of a light break before the uh, Christmas holiday. Yeah, not you know, I suppose even the front office gotta take some days off and just be with their families during the holidays and not be um crushing the phone lines trying to find pieces for their teams. Well we did have a couple of big signings. Our buddy Weston Muir returns back to the King County Cougars. Right hander got off to an incredible professional career uh, to start things out there with the Cougars and um had a little bit of an off stretch as it still was pitching very well for the club early in 2023 but had a bit of a tough stretch as the season went along and uh, it'd be interesting to see where he rebounds in his third year yeah you hope that you know somewhere along the line he finds a little more velo and will catch an eye of a major organization because you know he's he's proven to be a winner in this league but you know it's, you hope that the this will be the year where he makes that next step. Still a very young guy. I think only 23, if I remember correctly. 24, maybe. But uh, a lot of baseball ahead of this young man out there. Sioux Falls signs outfielder Logan Eikhoff. Sioux City signs left-handed pitcher Jared Weatherby. Turns back to the club. Milwaukee had a big signing this week with a, a guy who um, had a, a very impressive um Division One and NAIA career left-handed pitcher Eli Davis. And that name might not mean much, very much to anyone out there right now, but I think there's a, one thing that we've learned over the last three years, Kevin, is when Anthony Barone signs a guy in November or December, he, he doesn't wind up staying with the club for very long. So maybe this is that guy who already is the early he guy heading for affiliate baseball. And, you know, if not, if he's around, that's, if he lives up to his um, resume, you know, that's a, that's a good guy to fill a rookie spot on your roster. Absolutely, and those are some of the most vital spots here that you're going to have out there to fill. So, uh, Also, we had Michael Krause re-signs with Cleburne. He was a guy who served a couple of different roles in their bullpen last year, uh, even served quite a bit of time as the setup guy, so... Um, he, you know, he's, and I believe he was in closing for a little while um, for the team. So he, he's got a live arm for sure. And 
Fargo reaching into the Winnipeg Gold Eyes out there as they sign, uh, I believe this is Freesis Adamas is the way that Steve Schuster used to say that, if I'm correct. Um, so uh, not a lot of signings, but a lot of familiar names and a lot of guys, a lot of pitching out there is being signed right now, which I don't think either one of us are surprised by at all. You know, you know that's a neat thing. Right now, I know more about Western Mirror and Phrases Adamus than I know about about a lot of major league teams. But that's a neat thing about this league. You know, after a while, it's kind of with your own your own personal major leagues. Absolutely, I could not agree with you more on that statement. So fantastic to see that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on out there in the Frontier League um, as they had a, a couple of signings during the week. Brian Fuentes was was the one that left out at me because I believe that he was playing in the American Association a couple of years ago for somebody that, I, I, man, I thought that was like Gary or, or Milwaukee. I'm going to look that up in a minute and find that out. But uh, congratulations. I did want to say to Noah Myers, who's their Rookie of the Year, signing with the Tampa Bay Rays organization. So. Congratulations to him out there. Good to see a guy getting his chance to play affiliate ball. I like that a lot. So always good news. We don't know what's going on in the Atlantic League, Kevin, because they don't have anything out there to tell us. So we'll just assume that they're closed down for the early winter or something there. So I think that's it. That's just all the action that's going on out there in, in, in partner league baseball right now. We'll just leave it at that, Kevin. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so let's <laughs> um, Jordan uh, Sweet. Well, Kevin, Jordan Sweet. What are you talking about, Jordan Sweet? Short Jordan Sweet. That's the I like Jordan Sweet better, but short and sweet. Absolutely. That's the way fans like it. Less talking by us, more by Josh Buckles. That's the best part of the show. So that's the way we like it. You know, and we do want to say, Kevin, um, commissioner and deputy commissioner out there, that we're not trying to pat them on the back to suck up. We're just saying honestly is that we've got the great benefits since Josh Job came into the league. Uh, of him, you know, being accessible to us. And Josh Buckholz has always been a, a guy that has been more than willing to talk to the two of us about many, 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 many things over the years. And we're just thankful for all of that and loving the job that they're doing there in the commissioner's office. Yeah, you know, I wish uh, – I'd love to – although, uh, you know, he has said in other interviews that it's kind of boring at times what they do. I'd, I'd I'd like to you know just spend like a day or a week just bird dogging the the league offices just to see what you know what goes on on a day to day basis. You know what I think would be the most interesting thing apart about that. I know neither one of us would ever tell neither one of them would ever tell us this kind of information. So I'm just going to state that up front. But man, dealing with twelve different ownership groups of guys who are just you know, die-hard business guys and extremely competitive by nature. Man, you got to really navigate yourself through some some very interesting conversations. I bet at points right there. And hats off to the two of them for having the the, the will and thick skin to probably cope with a lot of very troublesome times. With that, well, Kevin, how about our final thought for? Oh, who's our uh, who's our shout out for this week? Well, seeing that we're getting to the end of the year, this will be the last show before 2023 is done. I just want to do my shout-out this week to uh, all you people out there that listen into the show. Chris, Polly, Craig, 
Mike, Nate, you guys all know who you are. Um, I know Rob and I are not the most polished journalistic professionals, but we do appreciate you guys sticking with us and giving us a listen um, week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're having a mistake counter for me. I mean, those guys are awfully gracious with me. Well, well maybe they do, but they're just not telling us. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's uh, there's a group out there of of Rob Gaffs, and I'm just not <laughs> not aware of it. Um, but yeah, I'm very appreciative of these guys too, because it's a lot of fun now. You know, it takes a little while, but but it, it's fun to look out there on Facebook and see comments now that they have about the show and and additional things and how that spurs a conversation for them for some other you know kind of topic. You and I may have touched on something, and then they take that um, and run with it. And I think that's super cool. So. Um, love that. And my uh, shout out this week would is going to be for whoever weather the whoever the weather man or weather woman is out there that finally predicts a good snow. Because I, you know, Kevin, you you've known me a long time, and I love winter and I love snow and too much green and and brown on the ground. I I, I want some snow. I need some snow, Kevin. Yeah, the the, the snow angels. Um didn't really go so well up here for Christmas. Um, uh, some of us end up getting, getting grass stains from it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well, Kevin and I want, want to once again thank Deputy Commissioner Josh Buckholz for joining us. For Kevin Luke, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.